0: I was pleased to see you smile at
1: the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out
2: there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Dee, something stood out to me lately about how the degree to which getting Anthony Davis the ball has really been on your mind. I've been talking to you on a day-to-day basis about basketball for years and years, And one of the many things I love about talking to you is you don't have a ton of agendas, meaning that like kind of these preconceived notions that you that you have going into a game, you just watch and and kind of reply off of that. So when you really get stuck on something when something's really on your mind, I try to get into that place, too. So I thought a lot about our dilemma, right, with A.D. and kind of getting the ball to A.D. more and getting him more quality touches and just everything around that. And I think in a lot of our talks, both on the pod and over text thread, a lot of the ideas, like we're on similar pages, we often are. One aspect of it, though, that we haven't talked a ton about that I want to start with that I think is important is I think that one of the best ways to getting more and better quality touches for Anthony Davis is to make the defense pay more severely when they do send extra attention toward him. Yes. And when I'm watching a lot of the tape... A lot of pretty much every step that a help defender along with his primary defender a second defender almost every step that a second defender takes is to help on AD into the paint right and so there are a couple of different prongs to the long-winded point that I'm making is AD's jumper is often what's available that he's not taking – and if you look, the 80s jump shooting in the championship season was not just in the bubble. He was like a 40% three-point shooter from January 1st on. And I distinctly remember uh, Vogel being like, yeah, we want him taking three or four a game. Yes. And that, that getting uh, quality attempts on that are – so that's the shot that's often available in my opinion to to him on one end then we need to have better action off of the ball when he has the ball in the post. But the other aspect to it is where I want to talk about Wenyon and the quality minutes that we've seen with Wenyon and A.D. In that Orlando game, they're sending a second defender, whether it was Carter or whomever was guarding A.D. as the primary guy. There's a second guy that's at least one and a half teaming him, right? Soft doubling, not guarding his man, but definitely a step closer toward A.D. A couple of times when Wenyan was on the court in particular, and this changed immediately when Wenyan got out there with AD. AD would attack that, and then he would occupy those two defenders, and then like Cole Anthony is left boxing out Wenyan. And Wenyan's just been an absolute monster on the offensive glass over the course of this past weekend. In part, D, because... We have two bigs out there and that to me is a great example of Cole Anthony boxing out Wenyan Gabriel. Is it a great example of the running out of guys theory where you have enough to throw it an Anthony Davis to bother him because he's got so many guys on him. But you don't quite have enough to ha- box out Wenyan Gabriel on the back end. And so Wenyan's numbers, two-man numbers alongside AD have been great. I think that with the urgency in these last 10 games left, these two big lineups, especially with him, man, are a great way to go. So that's me saying my my piece, kind of looking at what you has been vexing you from a different angle. Curious about what you think.
3: No, a lot to unpack there. I, I certainly agree with the first point that you made around AD's jump shooting this is an idea that we've t- that we've covered a lot of ground on in in the pod before i certainly agree that when ad has his jumper going it it unlocks a lot of his own own offense and he goes from being um a high level to elite offensive player to unguardable right. in his own way I think finding the right balance between the number of jumpers he takes and his ability to get downhill is also super important. I want his jumper to be something that he's shooting instinctively rather than like, this is what's being given to me. And there's always a fine line between that. I always say that one of the criticisms that Kobe Bryant always got was, well, he wanted to win, but he wanted to win his way. Mm -hmm. It's just like, welcome to being an NBA superstar. Like, right but like is great this players, different than yes yeah it's great. not different than michael jordan it's not different than magic johnson magic johnson damn near got a coach fired or he did get a coach fired basically very early in his career because they transitioned from being this up-tempo i'm playing my style game to like hey we're gonna walk it up in five down and we're gonna throw the ball in to cream every, every single time like it took away the style that was his native style right and so ad I think has a penchant to float too often. It's in his nature at times to be like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to hang out around the perimeter, and I'm going to take what the defense gives me. And so, it's a fine line to me because I'm encouraged at times where he just butts his head up against the wall by saying, "I'm going to, t- I'm going to take it inside and play with force." But there's a counter pull to that where, well, that's not what's there this time and you're playing into what the defense is trying to do to limit you and make your life harder. And so help help yourself here a little bit. And is that
2: what you're getting at? Yeah, so those are the kind of the two approaches, right? That either the take what the defense gives you or the, I don't care if that's what you're doing, we're gonna bash through the castle walls type of thing, right, and so that's why I bring up Wenyin is that when AD just decides, hey, I'm gonna be a monster on the inside, Maybe that second player, the the, the attention of those two guys causes a difficult shot, and maybe he misses that, but that's going to leave Wenyin, who... Yes. This has been a thing consistently all year long, and he plays hard every possession, and it's not just playing hard. He plays attentively, so he's going to relocate. If he sees his man leave to go help on somebody else, he's going to dive to the front of the basket. He's going to make the right play almost every single time. And by doing that, AD is like... AD is clearing space up and, and using that gravity, even if he misses the shot to create an advantageous position or, or at least having Wendon out there. But if that's Troy Brown in that position or if that's another player, you're not getting that same type of value. Well, even with Vanderbilt, right? Vanderbilt mm-hmm. has been looking to pass so often
3: when he's underneath the basket playing in in a crowd and Wendon does not play that way Wenyon's like I'm in close like he is Wenyun has improved so much as a finisher with like left hand right hand hand. you would mention this like a month ago like on the pod but you had gone to a game and you're watching Wenyon do pregame work and he's like only he's not out there shooting jumpers and doing a bunch of like off the dribble stuff he's just like like Mike and Drill and like little lefty hooks from yep. like four or five feet out and right hand In-game finishes shots. off of the glass. In-game shots, because those are the shots that he's going to take. Every few days or so. The Lakers play a basketball game, and there's a portion of the game going on, and in has just done a Wenyon thing for like three straight possessions, and you'll just send us a message that says, Man, I love Wenyon Gabriel. And, yeah. and so I want to kick it to you here on this idea of the partnership between Wenyon and, and AD. A, because I know your affinity for, for Wenyon, but B, I also know your affinity to sort of like skew bigger and like surround um, Anthony Davis and LeBron with these sort of bigger athletes that are really going to just pressure the hell out of the paint.
1: Well, in this case, Darius, it's not incriminating uh, what you shared in the private text thread that you usually need to pay extra for. Um, but so that's okay. So this one, this one doesn't get me in trouble. It's fine. Um, I do love the way that Gabriel plays. I mean, so the last three games, he's averaged about 25 minutes. And in those 25 minutes, 11 rebounds a game, 14, 11, and then eight. And he's yeah. almost always getting at least a couple of steals or a block. Uh, he's, he's a pretty good in terms of stocks. And then, you know, he's, he's always going to shoot a pretty good percentage, which he didn't happen to do uh, against Dallas. He had a, he had a couple of putbacks. It didn't go in. He was like three for eight. But I was talking to him after the last game, just off uh, off air, just sort of chatting uh, while we were waiting for somebody else to go out of the locker room. And, you know, he he isn't like a pure five, right? That's never how he's played. That's never how he sees himself. He finds himself in this current NBA where, and especially on a team that doesn't really have bigs um, other than Anthony Davis, who also isn't a pure five. That Because mm-hmm. I was asking him essentially about, hey, you know, these minutes that you're playing with AD – looked pretty good and, and he was like, yeah, you know, it like he, for to him, it's obvious as to why um, those, some of those minutes would work well. And, you know, you, you guys both touched on some of the reasons why. So I do think that the coaching staff has noticed this to an extent, certainly because his minutes have gone way up uh, from, er, from earlier this month. And I mentioned it's around 25 per game, but it's 33, 23, and then 20 uh, in the last three. And that's a trend that I don't see going back the other way. Now, once LeBron returns, you know, that's th- then. That becomes the. We had that conversation before. But do you put like Troy Brown as your starting two, and then just take somebody like Beasley <laughs> out of the rotation in in order yeah, to play more? And, and Beasley I wouldn't even be in
2: my rotation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and I don't know. That's in terms of like what coaches do. That that ends up typically being more of a drastic thing. That even if it, even if some of the yeah. numbers bear it out, it, it doesn't end up always necessarily being the most likely, but. Maybe it's just it's it's that there's got to be some some accounting for um, what the value has been in sort of, hey, you've earned your you've earned something. You've earned some minutes where where the coach has to find a way to get you on the floor more.
2: That's one of the funny things about his story this year, D, is that it's been like he was an afterthought this offseason. We barely talked about him in the offseason. <laughs> it was right. Thomas Bryant right. and Damian that's Jones, right? That's right. And yeah. so at first, he's battling Damian Jones because TB had gotten hurt. And then, all right, Damian Jones doesn't work out. Wenyan's going to play a little bit. Well, oh, we got Thomas Bryant back now. And now Thomas Bryant is elevated above Wenyan, right? And then he ends up getting traded. Uh, TB does. Then, but we trade for Mobamba, right? It's going to be Mobamba ahead of Wenyan Gabriel. Wenyan Gabriel has survived and has been the guy that's been overlooked every step of the way and has been pretty awesome almost the entire time. And that point about not being a natural five, I think is is a good thing. And when we talk yes. about that Wenyon ad combo, those are two Kentucky dudes that can move their feet. Like, they're going to kick your ass on the inside way more than you're going to cook them on the perimeter. Well, all three Kentucky forwards,
3: right? Mm-hmm. Add Vanderbilt to, right. to this mix as well. And so the thing about Wenyon is he's not a natural five. He's like a 4.5 which is perfect for a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis because he can play next to LeBron and LeBron has had some good minutes with with Wenyon. LeBron trusts Wenyon like in the open court. He trusts him as a finisher. He trusts him as a pick and roll partner. He throws that same pocket little bounce pass to Wenyon when he's diving that he throws to AD when AD is diving because he trusts him to catch the ball and make a play on the move but when you're playing next to AD is also this great combination of when of skill so AD is such a unique player because he has all of this skill but he can play with force as well like i go back to this possession that he had against the grizzlies where he basically like armbar locked Jaron jackson junior like underneath the basket and like walked him so like right underneath the backboard, the shot goes off the rim and he just sheds him for an offensive rebound yeah. and then goes back up and and finishes strong. And Jackson's not a small dude at, no. at all. And he's young and like in his physical prime, like that great dude gets after it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I look at him doing stuff like that. And then I also look at him doing these euro step floater finishes across the lane. And so A.D. has his great ability to play with finesse or with force. And Wenyan plays with such motor, but he is such a graceful athlete. The way that he moves. And he's intelligent. Yep. Right. And all that relocation stuff, Mike, like
1: it's it's just a good partnership between the two. They really complement each other well. Another thing that I was thinking about and talking to Wenyan about was three-point shooting. And, you know, he – Wenyan doesn't really see himself, especially in the the minutes that he's out there, as having much opportunity to take and work on the threes. And it's – and I don't think that's a bad thing. Like We get right back to my whole bigger point about three-point shooting. And it's like – So in the game against New Orleans at New Orleans, that's that's an example of, all right, things can look great if you're properly spaced out and the defense is all crashing in and you're getting wide open threes and you're burying them. Wow. You know, look at that. But the games that you have to win, like these last couple games against Dallas and uh, in Orlando, which were lower score relative to like what the modern NBA is, um, if still over 100 points in both of them. And especially as you get into playoff type of basketball, you're just not getting that many of those open shots. And, and I get, I always want to get back to the point of, so I think that a lot of the NBA has skewed so scared of wanting, of not having the spacing and sort of having, having guys on the floor uh, that either, either can't shoot or don't shoot a lot. And, and basically sacrificing size um, and, and athleticism and motor and some of these things that have been tried and true workers in playoff tight contested type of games that we keep seeing all of these different small lineups, um that that are trying to mimic like the golden state warriors and of like the greatest shooting team of all time and i just don't i I always find myself looking out there and seeing like a capable useful bigger player that's just not in certain lineups because it's thought that they can't uh, properly space a certain way and you know this is this would be even a case of like vanderbilt versus when you know that's when that's when i can be persuaded because if there's the negative spacing that you're going to have from Vanderbilt where, where teams are just going to leave him alone, you can't do that in the same way with Wenyan because he'll just dive in and actually dunk, you know, and, and he'll actually go get the rebound. So I'm, I'm not making mm-hmm. a blanket statement like no shooting ever. Um, I do like it, and I like it in the guys like Troy Brown that can do both. They can play defense and they can shoot when open. It's just I, 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 I'm basically making this argument for there's got to be those times where like Wenyan is better than you think he might be just because he's not a pure spacer um, or a shooter and and, and yeah, I, that's that's what part of the reason why I'm caping for. him.
2: No, it's it's certainly that shooting is not the only thing that matters, right? Shooting matters, but it's not the only thing that you got to have out there. And in the case of a guy like Wenyan, my attitude is that if you can't. If you're not a, a shooter or a floor spacer, can you move your feet and guard capably? Can you guard that on the other end of the floor? That That's when that becomes really important. And those three Kentucky guys, like you were saying, D, like throw Vanderbilt into that as well, that sort of perimeter ability, and then you got to box me out on the other end yeah. of the floor, like of, of all of the little flowers that are starting to bloom from this new version of the team... That's one of the things we got a lot of motor athletes, which I think is one of those guys that one of those archetypes that you want to slot between LeBron and AD in terms of building out a team long-term. Let's take a break, come back and keep it going.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: It's funny that we're talking about Winyan. We're talking about Vanderbilt. I wrote a column, and I I think it went up this morning at Silver Screen and Roll. It's a whole column of yes and no's. Guys, it's it's four different things that I've liked and not liked as much about the Lakers over the last (laughs) handful full of games or so. And and there's a few nuggets that I like in there. I I shouted out the Austin Reeves and one video that was put up recently by the Lakers. We might need to... uh, Give Austin a new uh, nickname of Austin and mm-hmm. One Reeves because he's out right. there uh, drawing drawing a bunch of fouls, and so I've got some ideas. But two of the things I hit in there are um, the Wenyun and AD duo, which we're talking about now, and the idea of Vanderbilt as a wing versus the idea of Vanderbilt as a big. Mm-hmm. And Vanderbilt is this interesting player because he he is not showing enough to me as a big man where it's he's losing some of his utility as a defensive big, and Mm -hmm. he is losing some of his utility as an offensive player when he's asked to be too much of a small. Right. And so Mm. really well said, that's spot on. It's interesting because we we've talked about Vanderbilt a little bit offline. And and Pete, you have raised this great idea that like Vanderbilt's more like a five offensively, Mm -hmm. um, but as he's more like a three defensively Defensively. and Mm -hmm. accounting for that sort of player within your lineups becomes super tricky. And it's one of the reasons why him slotting between LeBron James and Anthony Davis makes perfect sense for him yep it's 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 because the multi the versatility that exists in the offensive games and defensive games of both lebron and, and ad they can account for all of the stuff that vanderbilt does well and just be like hey do that stuff all the stuff you're good at you get to do all of that and we'll do everything else because we're swiss army knives at the highest level right Wenyon, on the other hand he is like a go 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 and he's going to do the same thing every possession regardless of who he's partnered with and that Reliable. consistency is also a great pairing to slot between lebron james and anthony davis and so i'd love to see both of those dudes continue to be in the rotation and finding time next to LeBron and next to a when LeBron comes, comes back and next to AD in regular shifts. And I've been super happy that after Yin played well against the Rockets, right? And then when AD didn't play, and then he was great in the second half of the Mavs game, right? Where he basically took Rui's minutes and really helped the Lakers climb back in into that game that they ended up giving away at the end that Darwin said, you know what? This is working with yeah. Wenyon and his partnership with AD. And he switched up the rotation to allow for like a three or four minute overlap between those, those guys when Wenyon first comes into to the game. So I think the coaches see it too, Mike. Like I think that they see that Wenyon and AD is a viable partnership. And just so you guys know, in the last two games, when Wenyun and AD have shared the court for like 19 minutes. So they've only played 84 minutes together all season. And uh, nearly a quarter of those are in the last two games. Over the season, they have like a plus 37 or something, plus 33 net it's rating. so good every time they play. But in the last two games, that net rating is like plus 50. Mm-hmm. Right. And so these dudes, Mike, they clearly have their peas and carrots, right, for the Forrest Gump fans out there. They just go together. They work together. And so I'm really hoping that this is a trend that continues because they're going to be able to overpower teams and out athletic them with size and length in the paint while still being able to cover enough ground defensively that they're not giving up a lot on the defensive end to rangy players and even guards if they end up on switches and everything else.
1: I just want to make a quick tangent point, uh, Pete, and then feel free to, to bring us back uh, wherever we want to go. Just thinking about the importance of maximizing those types of minutes and just the pairings that are clearly working versus the pairings that aren't uh, while also not disrupting kind of whatever rhythm and momentum has been built within these rotations and not changing things up too much like all of that balance but last night was a, was an example of sitting and watching league pass that went a little bit different than how things have been going right where like mm-hmm. the timberwolves won the jazz won the warriors won dallas was winning for the entire game until a big time comeback from memphis sort of secured that and it's just like this, this is this could happen, right? Any number of these teams could go on a streak in the other way. And since they've all been losing, it's got it's the Lakers have basically gotten away. Um, and I say gotten away with by still being right in that play-in mix. Had they won those games, they would be in the sixth seed right now. But they're they're not going to be able to continue to do that. Uh, I don't think. I think some of these teams are going to win more. Uh, and yep. So it's just the the urgency. Even just watching last night's game, I, I I wonder if people felt that, and I wonder if like the team itself sort of felt that. And oh wait, they're these teams aren't just all going to keep losing games, and and we're going to be able to just coast into the uh, seven or eight seed at you know at best. So that, I just wanted to layer that into all of this.
2: Amen. I'm so glad you brought that up. We've been playing with fire all season long. One of the big storylines of this season is messing around and putting yourself in a situation where something stupid could lose the game for you one play right like the eating up all of our margin for error has been one of the big storylines of this season and that's absolutely the case Minnesota balled out like Julius Randle was on fire uh, he had I think 56 points in that game watching that game it was a really high level game but like Torrey and Prince went eight for eight from three Nas Reed had this one shot I don't know if you saw it Mike where he was driving across the lane like sideline yeah, to sideline and the he like dribble. No. Oh, and Nasri. he had a high dribble yeah he had a high dribble d and so it's like and Nazri's a big dude right so it's like over his head to avoid one of the swiping arms that are like you know ball, underneath
1: it the other day yeah like, yeah, like a, a high dribble
2: I gather exactly but he's moving sideways so he's not going toward the rim and so he gathers it and shoots like this running hook all in, in this one and it's like a 14 footer it's not a close shot and he made that like it was nothing i was like oh my god it was just yeah. super high high skill shot than Nate and, Dog. <laughs> that's right. And so, like, and Minnesota, one of the things I love about Anthony Edwards is he's a legit two way guy. He's going to give you high level play on both ends of the floor. They've really coalesced into an identity with a uh, cat out that makes way more sense than it does with cat in. And so, yeah, I feel that level of urgency too, Mike. That And that's why these discussions. About the like sticking with the things that work, being able to identify, like, hey, this was our original plan, but these are the things that actually work together. And so, some closing uh, numbers on Wenyan. Darius brought up the uh, pairing with AD, the pairing with LeBron. He's also the best uh, net rating guy alongside LeBron, plus 13.6 in 256 minutes. So, yeah, of all of the players that have 150 plus minutes with LeBron, Wenyan has the highest net rating. Another thing I wanted to shift our focus to along this lines of identifying things that work, we finally found a three-guard lineup that is really humming. And that's the D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves group. D'Lo and Schroeder, in particular, as a two-man group, have been great. Um, The... Uh, coming out party of Austin Reeves has happened sort of within this environment, which is kind of counterintuitive because you'd think two other ball handlers would take the ball out of his hands. And it did at the end of the Dallas game. There were a couple of times it was like, let's have Austin run the play and try to get the ball to 80. Any, anyway, a three guard lineup that's really kicking some ass. And Wenyon is in these groups. Rui's in some of them as well, where it's like two bigger guys at the 4-5 spot to kind of make up for how small you are at the guard spot. Some of the best ball movement I've seen in years from this team has happened in the last few games with the bench groups in particular. So I'd love to hear what you guys are seeing there.
3: I think Dennis is a guy who could really comment on this because he was part of another great three-guard group when he played for the Thunder. One of their best lineups all season was the lineup that he played in with Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander as their three-guard group. And they sort of carried the Thunder that season to a really surprise season, which ended up um, netting the Thunder even more assets when they were able to then ship off Chris Paul again. Like, oh... The Reclamation Project OKC Thunder recouping draft picks on every trade that that they make. But Dennis, I think, is this is not new territory for him. And one of the things that I've appreciated about Dennis is that he is showing way more flexibility as a player than what he's given been given credit for really over the course of mm. his career, because he's almost always looked at through this lens of like this on ball player and he can only be effective with the ball in his hands, but he is defending his tail off, regardless of whether or not he's using possessions offensively or not. He is spotting up and hitting threes again, which is super helpful. And as the guy who can operate as both a strong side or a weak side player, who is an attack and downhill player that adds an element to this, that Austin does that too. And D'Lo is less of that. So he is the guy who floats around a lot along the perimeter, but has such gravity as a shooter that he is drawing guys out. And it's just a very good mix of skill sets and players offensively, Mike, where they're able to score, they're able to play with pace and they're all good enough um, passers and shooters. Like Dennis isn't a great shoe shooter. He's the worst of the bunch, but he is good enough. At that, especially as a pull up shoe shooter, that he it's it's just nice to see all of these guys playing off of each other and none of them feeling too hungry for the ball that it throws off the dynamic between them. They, they all seem generous enough with with The Rock, right, where it's just like, OK, well, I can get mine. Then this guy gets his and it's all coming within the flow. And it's just great to see.
1: No doubt. I think that when you have bench players like Austin Intruder, who both can raise their level uh, some, and then who also both play well with one of the starters, in this case, we're talking about Russell. But I am also just thinking of now as as to tie in the earlier part of the pod and thinking of all right, maximizing minutes and winning Gabriel, and how do you get to some more some more bigger lineups? Well, if you have a really good bench like that, one thing you can do is go to them a little bit earlier, and then you know, and then basically instead of playing if it's Malik and he, and he starts out great and he hits a couple threes. Okay. Extend the minutes that day. Um, if Troy Brown, who has always seems to start off well and hit at least two of his first three threes, that seems like what he's been doing lately. But those spots can also be, those minutes I think can also be given more, uh, in certain cases to, to some of that bench group that's playing well. So that's a little bit aside from the point of the bench group playing well together and sort of how that fits within the context of of how the Lakers are going to play and how they're going to win games. And I, I think that my biggest point though, would just be Austin is the player still that needs to be the one that's playing more. Uh, And, and that I think has become just so obvious that last game put a, put a kind of a final nail uh, into the, into the coffin of like what, what Austin's upside and whether or not he should be playing bigger minutes. And so I want to kind of kick that question back to you thinking that Austin has shown that he can do more pretty consistently. Would you keep the, would you, would you tweak anything and when he comes in or um, how many total minutes he gets and the guys that he plays with uh, within this context?
2: So I would max Austin's minutes. And I think that we are the one thing that kind of, plays in the back of my mind though is the when we've done that in the past although it's often been in a different role he's been more of a defensive centric guy and i think it's harder to be like a 32 minute per game guy as mainly a defensive guy than than an offensive guy uh just we've seen a decline in that and so max him out to the point of it being prudent and not burning him out you know where eight games from now he's just totally gassed um but yeah, he is the guy that – that that's part of the reason I like him coming off of the bench is giving him his own unit and his own – like he is obviously a closing guy. And the idea long term of having D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, and AD is kind of the core four to build around is very exciting just to – a couple of numbers, with AD on the floor and without LeBron, our three, <laughs> the three highest partners in terms of net rating alongside AD are Wendon Gabriel, plus 25.1 in the 84 minutes, then Austin Reeves at a plus 7 in 494 minutes, then D'Angelo Russell, 6.7 in 212. And so this whole idea we've talked about for years, D, of uh, skill guards reflecting well off of our stars, both of those guys have good numbers in you know, in a small sample with D'Lo and a larger one with Austin, both LeBron and AD have great numbers alongside them. It really supports that point of kind of these versatile guards who can do a bunch of things. And in Austin's case in particular, bring something on the defensive end as well. I just think that we have found kind of the right formula, even if it's very late in the season. No, well, 100%. It's, it's,
3: it's not rocket science, I think, to say like, your most well-rounded players should play the most. And so- <laughs> Yeah.
2: Like, like, I mean,
3: right, like but this we this part talk-
2: of the argument against Beasley, right? Like, yes. I'm sorry, I'm no. very frustrated about Beasley right now. No,
3: Beasley, so here's the thing, is Beasley is slotted best when LeBron is in the game. And yes. Vando, so here's the thing, is that Vanderbilt is versatile enough both offensively and defensively that he brings things to the table, even without LeBron in the game. But when it's only Vando and AD as the only two bigs on the court, Vanderbilt's utility fluctuates too much and he can be overtaxed in ways that, that lessen his, his success rate. It's like, I wrote this in the piece that I alluded to, to earlier, but, Vanderbilt is a plus 40 in the 3 games that he played in where LeBron was available, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the New Orleans game right before the All-Star break. It was um and then the game coming I mean, right out of the All-Star break, right? With the and then uh the Golden State game and then the Mavs game, right? Mm-hmm. But overall, since being acquired, Vanderbilt's a minus 34. It's, it's, it's the worst plus minus on the entire team since February 11th. So, Vanderbilt was acquired on February 9th in, in a trade. He did not play until February 11th when all the players became available except for Bomba. So, since February 11th, he's a minus 34, Mike. But in those three games with LeBron, he's a plus 40. So, that means in all the rest of the other games that he's played in, he's a minus 74. It's been bad and, and that's mostly at power forward and it's mostly in these lineups where he's not being supported well enough but in the lineups where he's with ad in general they those groups still have a positive plus minus so what is that telling me it's telling me that there are other elements within these lineups that are dragging the groups down and so to get back to the point I'm not going to blame this on Beasley, but I will reiterate the point. If you play your most well-rounded players the most minutes, then the odds are is you're going to have more of the skills covered on the basketball court and what you need to have on the basketball court in order to win games and win those stretches. And Beasley is the one player in the 10-man rotation who is not going to impact the game very much unless he's doing his one skill well. Right, and so Beasley's skill as a shooter can help other players, right? Because his spacing and the gravity that that he has coming off off actions is real. But he's not a high level passer, so he's not making the Corver pass. I call this right. the Corver pass, right? When you come off of a screen and two come at you, Corver was great at like I got two on me. I'm throwing that pocket bounce pass to the guy who just screened for me. He, he was right? also six seven, right? Yes, one hundred percent. And Corver was great at Creighton in college. He was like an all-court player who mm-hmm. then came into the NBA and was just like, hey, you're not gonna yeah. get to do all of that stuff anymore. You just have to shoot, right? Anyways. So Beasley's not a great defensive player. He's not a great passer. And he can score in isolation, but that's not really what you want from him. But if he's not then hitting his jump shot. Then his utility continues to fall and fall and fall. There's no other player in the projected 10-man rotation, which would include and Gabriel in my projections, that you can say that about where if they're not doing one thing, the thing mm-hmm. that they do best, that they're not impacting the game. Right. And so Wenyun's motor is always going to help. Whether or not he's getting a, a bunch of rebounds, him just crashing into guys and being active is going to help. And you could say the same thing about Troy Brown. His jumper doesn't need to be falling for him to be, be effective. And we all know that like Delos has got passing skill as well as, as well as his shooting skill. Austin does all of these things. Dennis is a very good two-way player on and on and on and on and on. Even, Rui's the closest thing. To this idea of like mm. being closest to like, oh, well, if this jumper's not falling. But even these conversations that the coaches have had with him, Mike, about like getting after it on the backboards and being more of a presence in, on the interior. De- well, defensively, he's 6'8", 250 pounds. He's going to mm-hmm. help in other ways just by being a bigger player. And so... I'm not saying you have to remove Beasley entirely from the rotation, but if you're looking for where to, in the spirit of do what works or what's working best, Troy is the pivot player of the guy who is now playing small forward, who is actually a guard. If you want to get another forward into the rotation, it's likely going to come by sliding one of the threes into a two spot. And removing one of the guards. And it's funny that we're right back to this conversation that we've had almost all season, which is like, where can you remove a guard from the rotation in order to play a bigger player? It's still it's still there. It's still there. Even we've with resisted the, success. It the whole time too. Yeah, but at least now there's a three guard group that you can rely on that you feel That's good true. about, right? Yep. It's not These janky three three guard lineups that were not holding up their end of the bargain. So there's a lot to digest still. I'm glad that we're doing this on a day off, Mike, because we can talk like this forever. Because there's so Mm -hmm. many interesting things to still talk about with with the Lakers as they head into this last ten game stretch.
1: I was watching the Kings game last night, and just as as a final point here, and thinking, all right, well, how what's the biggest reason why the Kings are where they're at uh, in the standings? And it's health. Like that's, that's the, the the biggest thing. Like they get credit for a lot of things, but you know, Fox and Sabonis have played uh, and really on through the rest of the roster. Um, Herder just, Herder just got hurt, but it looks like he's going to come back. And so I'm, I'm in the middle of doing this right now. I, I stopped before we, um, before we started recording, but I wanted to just see the percentage of the, of the games that the two best players have missed. And so far I'm about halfway through And the Bron and the Bron and AD have played less than any other duo. Um, it, like top two guys, uh, you know, forty-seven games for LeBron, forty-six for AD. So all of these conversations that we've had, I think we're so used to having these conversations at this point. But it's like, well, Vanderbilt in this lineup and Beasley in this one. Well, if LeBron and AD are there, all that stuff is different. And and it's not, it's it's in one way, it's an excuse, right? And you still have they, he's not going to come back for the next whatever it is, however many games. And the Lakers have to find the best way to win them. It's just a It's just a very frustrating element um, to what not just this season, but the last couple have been. And it's all of these teams that have been, whenever they've had one of their other stars out, or if they have two stars, some teams only have one, you know, they're not above 500 almost ever. And that's what the Lakers have been, you know, recently without LeBron. So I, I just wanted to toss that one in there as well. And that like these, it is it is harder to find the best and most optimal groups when you're missing a player that makes that much of an impact in the NBA. Um, and that's the spot the Lakers have been in basically all season.
2: It does, but it's, it's our job. It's what needs to happen for one. And for two, if and when we do get those two guys back, we'll be so much better for learning and realizing these things. Because for example, one of the main topics on this pod was AD and when in Gabriel, there's going to be a part of every single game all the way up through the NBA finals. If everything works out perfectly, where AD's on the court, but LeBron James is not. And understanding the things that we're good at in those circumstances and when we're not and why and what kind of teams they work against, like these smaller, tall type teams that like Dallas and Orlando are similar and that they have some height and length, but they're not particularly strong. Yeah, maybe that is a team that we can just bully with AD and Wenyan, but maybe against a bigger, more physical team, we need more skill out there. We want to pull them out to the perimeter, but learning this and answering all of this. Yes, of course, it would be a lot easier if LeBron and AD were both there and and everything was humming, but that's our, our puzzle to solve. And if we do, to me, there's a big reward at the end of that where you put LeBron James and AD clicking on top of a team that knows how to play together and why. And you're in business and the surrounding standings environment has given us so many opportunities. I feel like we're right at the precipice of of blowing it, but like it's there, and it's why this this sort of stuff matters. It is, if you want to take advantage of the opportunity, you got to kind of uh, fuss over things like this. All right, we've gone a, a little long. We will be back tomorrow to preview a huge game against the Phoenix Suns. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
3: Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn. double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic
0: scores. There's Magic got it.
2: Magic fires. It's good.
0: Two, one, miss it! the it. over. It's over. Right. Shot popping out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic.